Well, I have the opportunity just to, to share with you guys for a moment as we're passing the, the buckets and uh, just praying about what the Lord wants me to share. And I, I felt this just as we were in worship. I just want to, uh, I want us to do this, and I know it's going to be a little distracting because buckets are being passed, but I just felt, would you guys just put your, put your hands out and uh, just to receive a piece even as I speak here, I feel like there's, there's a lot of craziness right now, and it's almost like sometimes it can be even hard to hear uh, what's being said because you're distracted by other things. <laughs> How many know there's a lot of distractions right now in the world? Uh, five of you know that. That's good. The rest of you <laughs> will work on you. <laughs> uh, so I just want to pray as, as we go into this, and uh, actually, I'm going to just flip the scripture. I was going to go one place, and now I'm going to just Philippians. I'm going to go into Philippians as we just pray this. And, uh, it says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's this position that we have in our heart of worship to the Lord in the place of rejoicing. And it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, another form of that worship to the Lord, we'll present our request to the Lord. And it says this, in the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, it'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, as we have our hands out, Lord, I thank you that peace only comes from you, Jesus. You're the giver of peace. Lord, I pray right now that you would release peace into the hearts of every person in this place, everyone who's watching online right now. Lord, that you would guard every heart and every mind in Christ. That our eyes would be on you. As it talks about in Hebrews 12, that we would cast off every weight, every hindrance. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. He says, cast your cares upon me. Lord, I thank you that you're Yoke is so easy, and your burden is so light. So, Father, I thank you right now for a peace as we enter into this time of just hearing your word, that every heart would be open to receive everything that you have, Lord, and by your spirit, Lord, you would reveal everything that you want to reveal. This is not just a Christmas message that we go, yeah, I've heard this a thousand times. It was cute. It was nice. Father, I pray that you would impact every heart today. That you would be that, that, that sword that divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Lord, go deep right now into the heart of every person in Jesus' name. We ask you for that right now. Amen. All right. I am going to try to move quickly through this, and uh, but I just... Also, I'm just trying to just be led by the Spirit in this and just, God, whatever you want to do. So uh, I, I want to take you to Matthew 2. And uh, as, I was praying, as we were praying through this, there's, a, there's a, a, a phrase in here in Matthew 2. It says, we have come to worship him. And, and this is going to be the, the focus of, of what I'm talking about is, is a, not only a place of worship, but a, a life of worship to the Lord. It's what we're called to. It's what we're created for. There's, there's 
nothing else ultimately that we're created for other than worship to him. And then everything comes out of that place. So if we, if we capture this, if we can get a hold of this and an understanding of, of the life we're to live now, it's the life we're to live for eternity, but it starts right here and now. So in, in Matthew 1, it's, it's interesting. If you guys, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen, but um, Matthew, it, like now I read Matthew with just a totally <laughs> different mindset. I, like The Chosen has really messed me up because uh, I, I picture Matthew as I'm, as I'm reading Matthew. And, and, uh, but <laughs> in Matthew 1, the end of Matthew 1, there's eight verses in here, and it's crazy Matthew describes the entire birth of Jesus Christ in eight verses. I'm like, oh, you missed so much. <laughs> like, I wish, you guys have ever seen Lord of the Rings? I know, here we go, squirrel. Have you ever seen the extended version of Lord of the Rings? <laughs> now I know who the real Lord of the Rings people are. Here, here's the thing, you put those movies together, it's, it's already nine hours. But, but then you add the extended version, and I don't know, it's like 11, 12, 13 hours. Of, uh, but I'm like, I wish, I wish we would have had the extended version of Matthew. Like, they just kind of expanded. But I'm going to try to expand on a little bit. So uh, I'm going to start in Matthew 2. So this is just after the birth of Jesus. And, uh, and it's, it's about the Magi. And, uh, and you're going to, I believe, hopefully you're going to see something in a new light this evening. So follow along. We'll just read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, or these were wise men, they came from the, from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. Ha, just I underlined a few things for you to kind of, we're going to come back to. When it, when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Then King Herod, when he heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the, pro the prophet has written. It says, but you, Bethlehem, <laughs> in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's my, it comes out of Micah 5.2. If you can flip to the next one. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Ha ha. Uh, after they had heard the, the king, he went on, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. And it says, then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to just explain a little bit about this time. Uh, this, was a, this was the time of Jesus' birth, but it was 
one of the darkest and most evil times in, in history. And uh, there was fear in the hearts of people in that region and of Judah and Jerusalem. And there had been like a biblical silence for over 400 years. Mal- Malachi was the, was the last prophetic book or prophetic voice that was spoken, and that was 400 years ago. So uh, I know none of us are 400 years old, but imagine just that, that quiet. It was completely quiet from a prophetic standpoint of, of hearing the word of the Lord for 400 years. So it was dark. And then in the midst of that, there was an oppression, there was taxation, there was control uh, from the Roman Empire that was over this region. And then there was an adjacent, adjacent region as well uh, of Persia. And, and so there, there's these two kind of forces or, or uh, empires that had been established. And, uh, and then there's this evil man named Herod that uh, back in 40 B.C., he had come into Jerusalem, and, uh, and Rome, the Rome, Roman Senate had made him the king of Jerusalem and Judea. And, uh, and they had to do it by force. They actually, they sent in, like, I think it was 56,000 soldiers, and over a period of about three years, about 37 B.C. is the time that Herod actually took control of, of that region as the so-called king of the Jews, the king of Judah Judea and of, of Jerusalem. And so this is just, just kind of sets the scene of what was happening in that time. And then you have these magi come. So, uh, and I think a lot of times we hear like, oh, it was three kings that came or three magi that came. This was, this was not three kings. And uh, if you go back, we actually have a good friend who he did over 600 hours of, of studying and research uh, flew to different places in the Middle East to, and, and gathered a lot of information. And so uh, we were able to, to get some of his information in here, and, and, uh, and he backs it all up. I'm not going to back it all up today. If you want that information, you can, let, you can ask me later. Uh, but uh, the Magi, they were, they were like the, the parliament or the, or the senate of the Parthian Empire at that time, uh, and that was just to the east of Jerusalem, and uh, and they were they were actually a world-renowned group of people. They were known around the world. People knew who the Magi were. It wasn't this crazy group of people that were just off kind of studying the stars and stuff. They were actually called kingmakers. They were the ones that would establish who was the next king uh, in line. If there was if there was a, a, a king to come in to play, they were the ones that actually established the king. And, uh, and it goes back, actually, to the times of, of Daniel, 600 years before this. And uh, multiple places in Daniel, talks, it says that he was the chief magi. And so they studied Daniel's writings and, and what he had actually, even the book of Daniel. They, they studied these things. Whoa. And, uh, and so here they were coming to Jerusalem and... Uh, and why did they come? Because they saw this, this star. And, uh, and it wasn't actually in the east, but it was a star that rose over that area. And that they knew at that time, because it had been prophesied, that when that star came, that, that this would be the time of the birth of the king of kings. And so here they are. They, they make a trek. It's not a, it's not a short trek. If you, if you look at uh, kind of that Persian region, 
Uh, it was, I think, I've, if you put up that, put up that map, here it is. Uh, so it was 1,156 kilometers. It's something like 715 miles or something that they had to trek to get from, from that area, from Persia, that's the Iraq and Iran area over here, all the way over to Jerusalem. And so, um, so here they are. They see this star, and, and just to give a little context, even on that star, it's believed that it was like a, a nova or a supernova that, that came into play because um, it actually, and it actually moved. Um, but for a, for a star like that to, to light up, they believe that the, the nova, and I think it was a nova, not necessarily a supernova. I don't want to get into the details on this, but here's the cool part is that it was approximately 6,000 to 8,000 light years away. So that star had to be lit by God six to 8,000 years before it actually hit, moving at 186 million miles, or 186,000 miles per hour. I'm sorry, 186,000 miles per second, not per hour, <laughs> which is pretty fast, faster than anyone of us could ever move. So that star was lit to, to come into play at the very moment that Jesus was born and that the Magi would see it. And then they put together this caravan and, and it probably took them a couple months to put together this caravan. And they, the records show that there was about a hundred Magi that came. So it wasn't three. It was 100, and with each Magi, they, they anticipated that there was probably 8 to 15 uh, servants that were with each one of those. So on average, we're, we're looking at a couple thousand people that are, that are coming in, uh, or about a thousand people, say a thousand, that were coming in this convoy. But then on top of that, it, it was known in those times when the Magi would come, they would also come with a, merit, a military convoy. And so, uh, and they did some, re in the research, they looked actually in 60 AD, they came to Nero in Rome. And when the Magi came at that point, they had 4,000 cavalry and about 2,000 foot soldiers. So here's what you have, if you can and kind of vision this, is coming in to see Herod was about 6,000 soldiers, 100 magi, and maybe approximately 900 servants, all on camels and horses, uh, coming in. And they come to Herod and they go, hey, you're not the king. <laughs> There's a king that was just born, and he is king of the Jews. And this is the most amazing part. We have come to worship him. Like, and I just want you to kind of picture this because I think we read through this so quickly. But they took, it took them probably at least four months to travel from where they were to Jerusalem. Plus the prep time of maybe two or three other months. And then they have to get back. So you're talking over a year of the moment they see that star, they put everything down. They, they lay it all down, and they go, oh, the king has been born. We have to go and worship him. They laid everything down to go and to meet this king, but not just to meet him. And it wasn't, it, you read this thing, and, and you go, well, they, they came, and they presented their, their three gifts. Here's a little gold. Here's a little myrrh. Here's a little, in, you know, uh, frankincense. 
um, we sing a song and then they leave. No, no, no. I'm guessing it was weeks that they spent worshiping that king. You wouldn't come take a, a year and a half out of your life to go and just say hello to the king. They worshiped him. So you've got thousands of these, these people, military, magi, servants, worshiping the king. I, I, I mean, it, it changes the whole scene, right? And that part, let me just, this is kind of cool. Um, I, if you read this in the Passion Translation, it says this in, in Matthew 2, 3. It says, King Herod, he was shaken to the core when he heard this. I think the other version says he was, he was a little disturbed. He was uh, maybe, <laughs> uh, he says, yeah, he was disturbed. I, I like this translation. He was shaken to the core when he heard this uh, because this was a convoy that had come to worship the king. And it says that not only him, but all of Jerusalem was disturbed when they heard this news. Imagine an army, a military coming in from another, from another empire saying, where's your king? Where's the king of the Jews? We want to worship him. And, uh, and just to put this into context as well, Herod, this guy was evil. Um, there's documentation here that he, he would kill anyone who threatened his position, and he was paranoid. And so you kind of have to laugh at this. I mean, the sense of humor that the Lord has in this um, not this part. He, he, he killed one of his wives. He killed three of his sons. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed a brother-in-law. He killed an uncle. And it says, and others. But here he is killing his own family because he's so paranoid. And now you have this, this army coming in saying, you're not the king. Where's the king? And, uh, and then it says, and we have come to worship him. So I wanted to get that in context, and then I want to talk just for a moment here about worship. Uh, oh, let me read this. So this is really cool. In Daniel 7, uh, actually, I have it right here. I'll just read it off of this. It's verses 13 and 14. So here, the Magi would have read this. 600 years prior, they would, they would have studied this, they would have known this. I want you to hear the words of Daniel. So this is likely why they understood what was happening and why they came to worship the king. And this was a, a dream that, that Daniel has in, in, in Daniel 7, and he says this in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. This is talking about Jesus. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. By the way, that word worship means to bow down in reverence and awe, prostrate yourself before the Lord. So it says... Oh, lost it. So they, every language, they worshiped him. It says his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So you have the magi that understood what was happening in this very moment. Jesus was being born. King of the Jews, but also 
He was the one that was going to have everlasting dominion that would never pass away. This is the one that you're going to come and worship, that you get to come and worship. Uh, I was seeing this. I was just asking the Lord just to give me just a, an understanding of worship that I could explain to you guys the importance of this. As we were, as we're up here, uh, not we, as this worship team is up here, Marcus and the team leading us in worship, these are not just songs that we're singing. This is to engage us into a place of worship. It's why we spend so much time in worship on Sundays. And it, this is the very thing that we're created for. We're created to worship God. And, and here's what God does. I, I love it. So in, the, in, in Genesis, he says, I've created you in my image, in my likeness. And so we're in his image and his likeness, but then we, we mess that all up. And then all through the Old Testament, there are so many idols. We see these that man has this thing about they can't worship something that they can't see. They have to worship something that they can see. So whether they're, they're making something or it's a person or it's the stars or it's the moon or the sun, but there's something that happens where, uh, and, and I don't know what it is, but, but we, we, it's like we have to worship something that's tangible, something that we can see. So here's the beauty of our God. He sends someone that's tangible. He sends Jesus. Before that, we don't have a God that is in human form. But with Jesus, that changes everything. And I want you to see this in Colossians. Colossians 1.15, it says this. It says, he is, he's talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. So I've read this a thousand times, but to see now what's happening is, is the Father has actually given us someone that we are to worship that is tangible, that, is, that can be right in front of us. Now, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he gives us his spirit, but Jesus is a man. When he comes back down and he splits the sky, it is a man that is splitting the sky. It is not some just spirit. It is a man that is coming back for his bride. He is the bridegroom and he is coming back for his bride. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. And then I love how God does this. He says, for from Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and are for Jesus. He is before all things, and in Christ, all things hold together. And I'm going to just skip down. It says in verse 19, it says, For God was pleased. So God the Father, he was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. Everything, everything that the Father has dwells in Christ. And then it says this, and so through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Jesus came to this earth for the purpose 
of being that living, that sacrifice, that then now we can worship Jesus and come into relationship with the Father and have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. But it all comes from a place of worship to him. The Father says in, in, in uh, Philippians 2, says this. It talks about Jesus, and it says that, uh, he says, being in the very nature God, talking about Jesus, he says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So what does he do? He makes himself nothing. He brings himself to be a little baby in a manger. This is God, the creator of all things, in a little manger. And it says, taking up the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And it says, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then out of it, this is what the Father does. It says, Therefore, God exalts him to the highest place. He gives him the name above every name. And here it is. So worship is to bow. He says that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. We are created for this place of worship to Jesus as the Son of God. And in that place, it brings us into oneness with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, oh, I want to hit on, on this. Um, let me say this. There's a, in this understanding that we're created for worship, every one of us, we say, well, I, I don't, I'm not really worshiping Jesus. Well, you're worshiping something. You're worshiping someone. Whether, whether it's your job or money or your family or yourself. <laughs> A lot of people I know are just like very self-absorbed. But we're actually called to, to worship him, which is a laying down of our lives. It's, it's what we're created for. And, and it's crazy. The, the Magi understood this. They, that's where they laid everything down to go to be at the feet of Jesus, even as, a, as an infant, to come and to worship him and to give their gifts in reverence and awe of the King of Kings. Psalm 115. This is the other side of it that, that the Lord talks to. And this is the... Let me explain this. Here's the reason why we worship. And this is why we're created for worship is because in that place of worship, we become like what we behold. So God is not narcissistic. He's not like, worship me, worship me, worship me. I'm creating you all to worship me. It's out of his very love that the love that he has for us that he created us for that place of worship, for what purpose? So that as we behold him, we actually become like him. As it says in Genesis, we're made in the image and the likeness of God. That image and likeness actually comes out of worship to him, the very thing that our bodies are created for. So it's not just a given that we're made in the image and the likeness of God. It's out of the place of reverence and awe and worship to him. It's on our knees 
bow down. It's a place of thanksgiving. It's a place of praise. It says, we, it says you enter his gates with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. But you enter into the presence of God with worship, bowing down before him, coming before him. It's what we're created for. Whew. Psalm 115 says this. Hear these words, because this is the other side of it. Uh, in verse 4, it says, Their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. <laughs> How many people are so focused on money, finances, things like this? And it becomes, we say, well, no, I don't, I don't serve that. Like, yes, if there's fear in your life over those things, then you're fearing finances more than you're fearing the Lord. And, and this isn't condemnation, but it's to just begin to make, you got, you got to be aware of it before we can actually make the shift. He says this, they have mouths, but they cannot speak, eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel, feet, but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. Huh. And so will all who trust in them. So hear that. The very idols, the very things that we, that we focus in on, that we're, we're kind of almost meditating on or thinking about all the time, these things that like, like, how do I get to the next position in my job? Or how do I make sure that I have enough of the 401k? Or how do I, how do I have all these things? That is not what we're created for. God is, he says he takes care of all our needs. He meets all of our needs. He doesn't ask us, he didn't put us on this earth to stress out about the things of this world. He says you're in this world. You're not of it. We're not of this world. Can we trust him? And trust is that place of worship. Can we trust him so much that we can look upon him and the things of this world do not change how we perceive things and what we focus on? It, we don't get distracted by the things of this world. We don't change, we don't shift our focus over to these other things. We focus on him. In that place, this is where we become like him. There's a scripture and I'm going to wrap this up here, but this is important. <laughs> you guys thought you were just coming in for a nice Christmas Eve message, but, but you're, going to hear, you're going to hear the truth right now, and, and it's truth that actually sets people free. And I, I, I pray that, that today will be a day that you will never forget, that you'll, you'll remember this as a shift in your life. That we, This wasn't just another, sun, or another, another Christmas Eve service that was cute, this actually would transform your life from this point forward. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3, right at the end. It says, and we who with unveiled faces, so this is that place of looking at Jesus, with our eyes on Jesus, it says, we, we behold him, we reflect him, his glory. And it says, in doing so, this we're being transformed into his likeness. Right? We're made in the image of like and likeness of God. As we behold him, worship him, look upon him, we are transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So when we capture this, when we get this, when we begin to set our eyes on him, let me say, this is again why that place of even worship. Worship is not just singing songs, but it is singing songs. But it's not singing songs from your head. It's a place of, of worship and awe and wonder to the, to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords. So when we, when we worship up here and we have words that are up, yes, sing, sing the songs, but sing it from your heart. Like, let it pour out because, because it changes you. It doesn't change him and it doesn't, it, you can't manipulate God. But it changes us to become more like him so that as we live on this earth, we live in the fullness of what we're created for. Let me say this, that Christy and I were looking at this. It's interesting. There was a, a movie that came out in the mid-'80s, I think it was 1986, um, called Top Gun. And uh, I'm not saying whether it's good or bad or anything. I just, um, I know there's another one coming out here, but this is what was interesting is, is here's a movie that came out and people put their eyes on it. And, and I'm, you know, this might, you go, well, that's a little, this is a little extreme, but just listen to this. Um, they play this movie. It's an, this is what's crazy. It's an hour and 40 minute movie and it changes things radically in the nation. And, and it says this, it says that the recruitment rates for the U.S. Navy, immediately after that movie came out, went up over 500% in a single year. That was from putting their eyes on a movie for an hour and a half, or an hour and 45 minutes. So imagine what it can do when we set our eyes, even on like on television and on, on these things, and we're focusing in on these things, and we're, we're looking at things where our eyes are not on Him, on Jesus, when our eyes get off of him, it, it changes the decisions we make. It changes the direction we go. And this is Christian, non-Christian, whatever. I, like, just because you say you know Jesus doesn't mean that, you're actually eyes, that your eyes are on him. My heart is that every single one of us would have our eyes on him. I promise you that if your eyes are on him, you, you don't need to get prayer. And, I, and I, I'd say this in a... Let me, uh, not that you don't need prayer. We can all use prayer. We all need people praying for us. But I see people that are like under that weight and that heaviness. And it, and it comes out of a place of our eyes aren't on him. And when our, they're not on him, we start moving in the wrong direction. I was, I've talked to people about it like this. It's, you know, when Jesus says to yoke with him, because his, his yoke is easy and his burden's light, means he carries all the weight. The problem is, is we... We start our yoking with him. We, it's, it's, and I'm doing this <laughs> because, because I'm thinking of oxen, like when you, when you yoke two oxen together and, and you come under his, the yoke of Christ and he carries the weight. And we start that way and then I, we have this tendency, and we all do it, I do it, is we kind of get our eyes over here and we're like, ah, oh, I really like this over here. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, things are getting heavy. Like, Lord, help. I'm, help me go this way. Help, I'm trying to get over here. Help me. You need to take this weight off of me. Yes, I'm going this way. And he's like, no, you're, you're going the wrong way. Get your eyes back on me. And when we get our eyes back on him, we get focused with him, we get yoked with him, and then we begin to learn his ways. Moses, Moses says this in, in, 
Exodus 29, he goes, he goes, he says, uh, teach me your ways, to walk in your ways, so that I can know you. And that whole purpose is so that he can become like God. And our, and our likeness of God is not like we're gods. It's, it's that place of humility. We stay like this. We never leave this place of worship. It's not a Sunday morning occasion. It's an every day of our lives that we would worship him. And when we come into this understanding, it will change everything because we will become like him. We will be transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory that is from the Lord and it's by the Holy Spirit. This is the invitation I believe that he's calling every one of us into. Just because we go to church and just because we say Jesus is our Lord and Savior does not put us in that place of worshipful, bowing down position to the Lord. It's a decision that we make and it's not a one-time decision, it's a daily decision. It's a moment-by-moment decision. And, and here's the thing, is this is where the Holy Spirit comes in, is, is we actually have the Holy Spirit that he puts in us. He says he seals us with a mark. He, he puts the Holy Spirit in us when we say yes to him. And then it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to walk in the fullness of what we're called to. It's the Holy Spirit that positions us like this so that we stay like this. And the moment we come out of it and we're over here, it's the grace of God that brings us back and empowers us to come back into that position of, of knees, on our knees before the Lord. Last scripture I'm going to read here is, is in uh, John 4. And uh, actually, I'm going to read two scriptures. John 4 says this. John 4, 23. He's talking to the woman at the well. He's talking about He's talking about worshipers. So again, God is not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. He's not going worship me because he wants worship. He's going worship me because I want worshipers that are made in my image, that are walking in my ways, that are, that are my sons and my daughters that I can empower and strengthen to do the very things that they're called to do, created to do on this earth with power and with authority. The same power and authority that Christ walked with on this earth comes from a place of worship and dependence upon him and humility on our knees before the Lord constantly. Jesus says this, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then it says this, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks, which means that we have a God that is seeking for worshipers. He's looking for those right now on this earth who are true worshipers, who will worship in spirit and in truth. Will we be those who will worship him in spirit and in truth? Amen. <laughs> I'm just going to end there. Uh, I, but I want to do this. I just, that, that place of worship starts with, with a step of just saying yes to Jesus. It's what we're created for. But it comes in the place of, of there's a trusting in him. There's a laying our lives down for him. 
And it's, that's that place of worship to him. And, and I just can't, I can't end this and say, okay, here we go. Um, we're going to just finish up with, with some worship here. We're about to do a candlelight worship, um, but, but I just want to give this opportunity. And so I just want you to, to bow your heads because this is not a show. Uh, so just, if you guys would just bow your heads. It's between you and Jesus right now. But I, I just, I want you, if, if, first of all, if you don't know this Jesus, or if maybe you've just kind of been far from him, and you haven't been in that place of worship to him, the very thing that you're created for. If you've been worshiping other things or kind of walked away from him, and you could be going to church every Sunday and still walk away from him and be focused in on other things. If you want to shift your gaze back to him, if you want to shift your heart back to him, I just, I want to do this. That just, just raise your hand as a way of just saying, yes, I want to shift my life back to him. I see hands up all over. Yeah. This is between you and the Lord, but I feel like it is that place. You're making just that, almost like reaching up and just grasping, grabbing a hold of him and saying, yes, Jesus, I do want you. I want to worship you. I want to come into that place of what I'm actually created for. So thank you for just all those who have just saying yes. You can put your hands down. Wow. I want to do this. We're just going to pray. And just repeat this after me. This is a first step. You're walking into something, and, and it's a daily yes to him. It's a daily saying yes and walking uh, with our lives laid down. Will we mess up? Every one of us will. I'm going to mess up. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. But when you say yes to him the very first time, it's the most beautiful thing, is it says he puts his spirit in you. And, he, and it says the spirit reveals all truth. So he gives you his truth. You don't necessarily hear him at first because you're just not, a, you're not tuned into him. But you're going to learn to tune into him. You're going to learn to hear his voice. And then he leads you and he guides you according to his ways as we continue to stay in that place of worship to him. So just repeat this. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you created me to be in your image and your likeness. I want to lay my life down for you. I want to live for you I want to worship you with all that I am, with all that I have. I give my life to you. I turn from my ways. Will you teach me your ways? Will you put your spirit in me to strengthen me and empower me to walk in your ways from this day forward? And I commit to learning to worship you with all of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Can you just give the Lord a hand? Just... Tell you what, will you guys stand up? We're gonna, we're gonna do a candlelight.
this is the fun part. And we're just going to pray that nobody lights uh, any chairs on fire or anybody else on fire during this part. Uh, but we just, we're going to worship the Lord with some songs here. And, uh, so as we, I'm going to light this candle. It's going to be the start of all the candles that are being lit. And, and this just signifies Jesus is the light of the world. There's a scripture in, in the John 1. It says, through Jesus, all things are made. Without him, nothing has existence. In Jesus is life. And his life is light to all mankind. So this light, it shines in the darkness. It bursts through the gloom and it keeps shining. And the darkness cannot diminish the light. Jesus is the true light that gives light to all who come into this world. So as I light this candle, this signifies this is Christ and then but he's the one that lights all of us up. And, uh, and so we're going to just, we're going to sing some worshipful just Christmas songs to the Lord. And uh, try not to burn anybody. <laughs> uh, oh, one other thing. This is important. So the, if you have a lit candle as you go down the rows, would you keep your can, the lit candle upright? Take the unlit candle and turn it. And so you light like this. If you switch it, you will be pouring hot wax on your neighbor's hand. Don't do that. <laughs> Everybody got it? Lit candle upright. So, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that you are the light of the world and that you shine your light in and through us. We get to reflect your light. We get to carry your light wherever we go.